folks. Welcome back to another episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. This week marked the transition of Bionic into expanded security maintenance, so it has finished its five-year LTS period and is now into its five-year ESM period, and so we will talk about uh, some of the impact of that coming up in a bit. Plus, I also wanted to look at a recent blog post from Till Campita from uh, the Open Printing Project and the uh, maintainer of cups and the whole printing stack in Ubuntu as well around uh, security notification disclosure and how to do that well uh, on a platform like GitHub. Uh, but let's do the usual roundup of security fixes that have gone into the supported Ubuntu releases over the past week. So there were 56 unique CVEs addressed this week. And up first, we had an update for Postgres. Uh, a couple of different CVEs here, uh, two of them both requiring uh, the attacker to be an authenticated user. So if you don't have untrusted users accessing your Postgres, uh, that's you know a bit of a, an easy one here. Don't have to worry about these ones. Uh, but one of those was in the mishandling of create privileges uh, could then allow uh, an authenticated user to execute arbitrary code as the bootstrap supervisor of your Postgres. Uh, the other one was in uh, hand- mishandling of row security properties, which could allow uh, an authenticated user again to bypass uh, security policies and get uh, possible read or write permission uh, as a result. And they've been both been fixed. We had an update as well for the CA certificates package. Uh, this goes all the way back to uh, 1404 expanded security maintenance plus 16.04 and then uh, all the releases since. So 18.04, 2004, 20.04, 20.04, LTS respectively, plus 22.10 and 23.04, both of the interim releases that are supported at the moment. This updates uh, the CA certificates package, which is the uh, certificate uh, trust store um, that most packages on Ubuntu use, uh, to the latest upstream release from Mozilla 2.60. It adds a bunch of new CAs there, plus it removes some that had either expired or that uh, were not being used anymore. We had an update as well uh, for the Calamara's settings Ubuntu package. Uh, This is uh, the installer or part of the installer that's used for Lubuntu. So if you're not running uh, Lubuntu, this wouldn't have affected you. But yeah, if you are, this was updated uh, for uh, 2204. Effectively, when installing Lubuntu, uh, that uh, it would allow you to create the first user with an empty password. And this is, I guess, contrary to usual expectations for the standard Ubuntu installer and for the other flavors, you're not allowed to create a user with you know, basically no password. In that case, if you do, uh, for Lubuntu in this case, you could then you know, just log in by pressing enter or you know you could authenticate uh, to sudo by just pressing enter. So not a great outcome. Uh, so that has been fixed. As I said, this only does affect the Lubuntu flavor, uh, not the rest of the regular. Uh, flavors or Ubuntu itself, but that has been updated as well. The HTML strip scripts uh, package, which is a Perl module, has been updated. Uh, This is a regular expression denial of service vulnerability uh, that could be triggered when parsing HTML with certain style attributes as it was put upstream. So we don't have much more details on that, but uh, that has been fixed all the way back to 14.04 ESM. Uh, jhead was updated and actually talked about jhead uh, back in last week's episode and uh, this week in the past week we actually had three different updates for jhead for a bunch of different releases there the first of these was uh, a possible code execution vulnerability effectively where if someone could name a jpeg file with uh, os commands with as part of the file name uh, and then use jhead to rotate that it, it effectively does like a uh, exec call out to another application to do that and would execute those as shell commands along the way 
plus there was a buffer overflow when writing exif data as well that was fixed. Uh, fire another update, uh, stack buffer overflow, a heap buffer overflow, overflow, and an out-of-bounds read could all be triggered in JHEAD, uh, leading to a denial of service or code execution. And then for our uh, couple ESM releases, so 14.04 and 16.04 ESM, both updated for a heap buffer uh, out-of-bounds read in uh, JHEAD as well. Again, that one you could probably trigger a denial of service as a result. Django was updated also for our ESM releases. I actually talked about this one back in episode 194, so a few different podcast episodes back now uh, for the regular releases. So that's been updated uh, for those releases as well. Then our kernel team has been busy uh, pushing out a bunch of new kernels. So we had the 5.4 based kernel for both Raspberry Pi and uh, Oracle Clouds updated uh, for the 20.04 LTS release and uh, the 18.04 LTS release. That included eight different CVE fixes and most of those I've talked about back in previous episodes. Similarly, I had a couple different CVE fixes for the 6.1 based uh, OEM kernel for 22.04 LTS. The most interesting vulnerability here was a possible race condition in the Netfil subsystem that was able to be triggered by a local user. And that would then lead to a user after free and therefore memory corruption within the kernel. And you can imagine if you can corrupt the right bits of memory in the kernel, you can escalate your privileges. So uh, this required CapNet admin to be able to essentially load Netfilter rules to do that. But uh, you can get CapNet admin you know, as root within an unprivileged user namespace. And therefore you can trigger this out of the box as an unprivileged user on Ubuntu because we do enable unprivileged user namespaces by default. So when this vulnerability was first announced, it was then announced that the proof of concept would be published within a week of that. And that got a lot of people uh, kind of anxious and nervous that, oh no, there was this vulnerability that everyone knew about yet. Uh, and you know, a proof of concept was going to be coming out for it. And when was Ubuntu going to get fixes out for this? Um, but since in this case, you did have a good mitigation in place by just disabling unprivileged user namespaces, you could um, you know, mitigate that uh, just by turning that off. Uh, and so from our point of view, you know, we kind of saw, look, if we, we do get a lot of vulnerabilities like this. Um, it's not worth just kind of dropping everything and like cranking out new kernels because they do take a lot of time to test and prepare. And there's always new uh, kernel vulnerabilities like this one coming out. And interestingly, at the same time, basically on the OSS security mailing list as this one being announced, there was another one that was announced, a very similar vulnerability. Uh, that also had a proof of concept published, but yet no one was jumping up and down about that. And so I think in this case, it was just this idea that a vulnerability has been announced, there's a fix out there, and there's going to be an exploit published for it. You know, when, when are we going to get kernels out? Yet another one where both the vulnerability and the fix and the exploit were all published at the same time, got nowhere near the same attention of just because this one was, the exploit was going to be published. So yeah, created this anxiety. So I guess that's a bit of an interesting thing from human psychology to have a think about. But anyway, that fix has now gone out for that 6.1 based kernel for some of our OEM platforms. Similarly, the OEM team have got out a, an update for the 6.0 based uh, OEM kernel there that did have that same Netfilter issue fixed plus uh, an issue with mishandling of control registers in nested KVM VMs that could then allow a nested guest VM to crash the, uh, the, host, nest, the host guest VM, if that makes sense. Um, Moving on, we also had an update for the 5.17 based OEM kernel. Again, mostly the same issues as I discussed there as well. So thanks as always to the kernel team for preparing all of those. We also had an update for Linux PTP. This is the implementation of the precision time protocol on Linux. Essentially allows you to synchronize time between servers to sub microsecond accuracy. And when I talk about time synchronization, you're probably thinking of things like NTP and the like. Um, traditionally, NTP is used with something like, say, a GPS receiver to uh, get time synchronization, or I guess nowadays, uh, Crony is used for that kind of thing. Um, 
Whereas uh, PTP is more about synchronizing, uh, well, and I guess NTP, you know, you can synchronize uh, time between different machines and the like as well, but uh, PTP gives you higher accuracy. Uh, similar to NTP, it uses a kind of leader and follower architecture. So the leader is usually synchronized to some high accuracy, you know, timing device like a GPS. And then all the other machines get synchronized to that leader machine uh, via PTP. And so you can get all your machines down to sub-microsecond accuracy, which is pretty cool. In this case, uh, you know, being a network-based protocol, uh, the vulnerability here that we see isn't too surprising. Uh, it failed to check the length of uh, one of the received packets properly. Uh, that was only the case when uh, forwarded packets were being used. But in that case, uh, it would fail to check that length. That would then result in an out-of-bounds uh, both read and write uh, issue. So you could get possibly an info leak there if it can you know, read beyond the end of the buffer and then respond back with something that's outside of that or a possible remote code execution issue if you can corrupt memory in the right way as an attacker. So that's been fixed for Linux PTP. Sudo, or sudo as I like to say, but sudo as I hear I should be saying it, uh, was updated for a couple of different vulnerabilities back for 16.04 ESM. And I talked about these vulnerabilities back in episode 193, if you wanna go check that one out. Flask was updated, uh, the popular Python uh, kind of web framework. Um, in this case, it would possibly send a response that was intended for one client to a different client, not a great issue there, due to the mishandling of the very cookie header. It did require, however, that you be using uh, you know, your Flask deployed application behind a caching proxy and a bunch of other conditions as well, uh, particularly into the way that your application behaved. So it is hopefully not a super widespread issue, but that has been fixed for Flask going back to 2004 LTS and the releases since. Perl was updated uh, for a single CVE, and this goes back to 1404 ESM, 1604 ESM, and 1804 LTS, or as we now know, 1804 ESM as that is now, but that was released while it was still in the LTS period. Uh, single vulnerability here because uh, Perl would fail to properly validate TLS certs uh, when you were installing new uh, Perl modules uh, through CPAN uh, using the HTTP Tiny module. In this case, it failed to set the SSL verify parameter to HTTP tiny. Now I went digging on this because I thought that seems really odd. Why should you have to tell it to verify certs? Shouldn't it surely just do that out of the box? But no, HTTP tiny does not do that out of the box because, and I've got a link in the show notes, uh, because the upstream developers thinks that would be discriminatory to enable SSL verification by default, as that would make any applications that use self-signed certificates, you know, not work out of the box, or it would mean it wouldn't be compatible with community-driven CAs like cacert.org and the like. You know, all of those, if you had certificates from those, would fail. And you know, you can kind of think, oh, maybe that makes sense, but actually, no. Nowadays, we have things like Let's Encrypt and Acme and others that allow you to get free certs uh, that are, you know, not, you know, that are actually generated by a real trusted certificate authority out of the box. And I really feel like there is just no, uh, no excuse for this kind of bad API where certificates are not verified by default. Uh, you know, that makes everyone insecure out of the box rather than, you know, in this case, maybe you just make it a slight hurdle for those that want to deploy your module. You know, if they do use self-signed certs, well, they can just change their code to then say, you know, don't verify, whereas the vast majority of people would be wanting to verify. So I urge any of the upstream developers of HTTP Tiny to change that. That just seems really, uh, you know, really bad API design. So, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see similar vulnerabilities in the future as a result of this, you know, poor API design, this, you know, kind of foot gun waiting for anyone to step on it and shoot themselves in the foot or any other part of their body as a result. Moving on though, we had an update for nth check. This is a Node.js module for parsing and compiling uh, CSS nth 
nth checks. Uh, this is uh, a bunch of APIs used in CSS3, uh, things like nth child or nth last of type functions that you can use in CSS3. In this case, you basically pass nth check a string and it will compile that into an optimized function for calling by other code. So you can do things like pass it, I don't know, 2n plus 3 and it will do an optimized check for how you can check that you know, within say child, uh, child objects and the like. Um, not surprisingly, this had a regular expression denial of service vulnerability that was fixed. Uh, similarly, another regular expression denial of service vulnerability was found in the Hawk Node.js module that was updated for Ubuntu. So that goes uh, back to 1804 LTS, 2204 LTS, 2204 LTS, and 2210. Uh, this is the HTTP Effectively, it's uh, an authentication scheme for HTTP that's quite similar to the standard HTTP Digest authentication scheme, but it does have a few kind of minor differences uh, developed by Mozilla and has, I guess, some different use cases that you may want to apply that to. And yeah, as I said, it had a regular expression denial of service vulnerability that has also been fixed there. We then had an update for TextLive. Uh, this is for 1804, 2004, 2204, LTS, 2210, and 2304. Uh, a single vulnerability here where you could get shell command execution in a LuaTeX uh, if you were running that against an untrusted document because uh, LuaTeX would uh, fail to close the IO stream that it was using in the underlying Lua engine, and therefore the uh, untrusted document could inject uh, Lua commands to inject contents into that IO stream that would then be executed as a result. That has been fixed. Uh, an update for OpenSSL came after that. A couple of different CVEs here. Uh, again, these go back to 1804 LTS and the releases since. The first of these was a CPU-based denial of service that could be triggered when processing crafted ASN1 object identifiers. In this case, it required uh, you know, the, I guess, attacker to be able to specify object identifiers with a sizes of up to tens or hundreds of kilobytes themselves. Uh, in OpenSSL 3, there is a hard limit of 100K on the peer certificate chain. And so that limits the ability to craft such long IDs and have them therefore be processed by OpenSSL 3 and trigger this vulnerability. But that one's been fixed. Plus, there was an ARM64 specific issue. In this case, uh, the AES XTS decryption algorithm would possibly read past the end of the input buffer, uh, therefore resulting in an out-of-bounds read and you know, denial of service as a result if the uh, memory that it was trying to access outside of that was not mapped. It's needed the ciphertext to be a certain size relative to the block size to be able to trigger this. It was only in certain conditions, but that one has been fixed as well. SpiderMonkey, the JavaScript engine that is made by Mozilla and is embedded in Firefox and the like was updated to the latest upstream release 102.11 and that fixed nine different CVEs there and that's for Ubuntu releases 22.04 LTS and those since. Uh, thanks to Jeremy Beaker on the desktop team for preparing these. Uh, they are now out. What else? Uh, NanoPB, the uh, very small size implementation of protocol buffers was updated. Uh, this is designed for embedded systems and the like. There was, in this case, a memory leak on the processing of crafted uh, messages plus an invalid free or realloc that could be triggered on crafted messages. So you know, the first one there, it's a denial of service through leaking memory. The second one is memory corruption. Yeah, the ability then to crash again or potentially get code execution if you were parsing untrusted content in either case. Apache Batic was updated. Seven different TVs here going all the way back to 1404 ESM and the releases since. 
Uh, this is a Java SVG library and uh, had a bunch of different issues here. So four different uh, cross-site request forgery issues. Uh, one uh, server-side request forgery issue in the handling of URLs in JAR archives uh, could therefore allow access to local files on the server and a couple of different issues that could allow untrusted uh, Java code that was embedded in an SVG to be executed. So, you know, remote code execution there. Just a couple more to go through. One CVE here for SnapD, and that goes all the way back to 16.4 ESM. Uh, this is pretty similar to a recent issue that uh, was seen in Flatpak. Basically, uh, the seccomp sandboxing in uh, SnapD failed to block the TIOC Linux uh, IO control request. Uh, this is able to be used to inject contents into the controlling terminal when you're running uh, on a virtual console. And therefore, if a snap can inject contents that then, uh, you know, and say includes, I don't know, some command to be executed plus uh, the enter key or carriage return, should I say, uh, that will then be executed by the terminal once the snap finishes executing and therefore it will be executed outside of the uh, snap sandbox itself so it allows the snap to execute commands outside of that normal sandboxing that would be expected now uh, this does only work on virtual consoles so if you're say sitting down at a desktop machine you know, and you run GNOME terminal or k console or i don't know whatever terminal emulator you're using there now uh, these aren't affected you need to go and switch to you know say control alt f2 or something like that and uh, log in via a virtual console there and that's the kind of environment that these can be triggered um, so on a desktop machine, you're very unlikely for anyone to be affected. Uh, but it is the kind of thing that you do see on servers a lot. You know, if you're doing, uh, I don't know, um, the console access to a server, you will get access to this. But if you're SSHing into a server or something like that, you're not affected either. So this was fixed by blocking IO control when it was used with this argument. Uh, it's interesting to see this, I guess, as I say, was seen uh, earlier in the year in Flatpak. And it's very similar to historic CVEs that we've seen in a bunch of other packages. And I've actually got links to all these in the show notes because I found it interesting digging back into that. You know, back in 2016, uh, there were similar CVEs in Firejail, Lexi, uh, and then Bubblewrap, and then Flatpak itself. And you know, now we've got one in uh, SnapD as well. So basically anything that's doing confinement or wanting to use SecComp to block uh, certain dangerous system has probably seen this uh, vulnerability or this a version of this vulnerability along the way. Okay, and last of all was an update for libvirt, a couple of different CVEs here for 2204 LTS, uh, 2210 and 2304, so the most recent Ubuntu releases there. Uh, the first of these was a race condition within uh, the network filter driver allows a local unprivileged user to race against that driver and corrupt the list of network filters and then trigger a crash in the libvirt daemon. And there was also a memory leak when reading uh, SRIOV PCI device capabilities as well. So you could trigger, therefore, you know, a crash within uh, libvirt as well through that one too. And they've all been fixed. So that is it for the week in security updates. All right, so uh, I guess the other big news of the week is the transition of 1804. Uh, the venerable long-term support release has now entered ESM period. It's expanded security maintenance. Uh, 18.04 was released five years ago now. Uh, we, I guess we announced this was going to be happening quite a while ago. And I know that 18.04 is a very popular release amongst many people. Uh, it's you know, served many people very well. There's lots of 18.04 de uh, deployed out there. So if you are still using 18.04, I recommend either that you, you know, enroll in Ubuntu Pro so that you can take advantage of all the fixes that are going to be coming down the pipe uh, as part of ESM or that you upgrade to one of the more recent LTS releases, so 2004 or 2204 LTS. Uh, ESM does come with five years of support from now, so your 1804 will be supported for another five years if you do enroll in Ubuntu Pro, and we will keep uh, you know, doing lots of releases for that going forward. Probably every week you hear me talk about updates for 1604 and 1404 ESM, well, 1804 is going to be getting those now as well. 
And uh, I guess, yeah, as I say, given the popularity of 1804, there's probably a lot of people that will want to take advantage of that. Uh, I've talked about this in previous episodes, and I'll put a few links in the show notes here. But yeah, there's a bunch of different content around, I guess, the advantages of enrolling in ESM and the ways that you can you know, go forward from here. So yeah, check those out as well. Okay, uh, the other thing that I wanted to talk about this week was uh, a great blog post that I saw from Tilcam Peter. He is uh, the upstream maintainer of the Open Printing Project and uh, the maintainer of the whole printing stack in Ubuntu. Uh, he is kind of you know, Mr. Printing in uh, in Ubuntu, so thanks, Till. Uh, and what, what he did was a blog post around uh, vulnerability reporting and security bug reporting via GitHub. So uh, in this blog post, he talks about you know the general difficulty that or the kind of tension that we get in open source software development where most of the development or all the development generally is done out in the open. So you have bugs reported out in the open, you have your CI running out in the open, you have your you know commit history all out there in the open. And so what happens when someone wants to report a security issue? Yeah, they could report that to you publicly, but then as soon as they report that to you publicly, then any attacker that wants to know that there's, say, some security issue can see that as well. And so now you're kind of racing against the clock to develop a fix while the attacker's racing against the clock to develop an exploit or something like that. And you know it's not a great situation to be in. Much better is if you can have security issues reported to you privately, you can then go away and fix those and then you can have a coordinated release date, you can roll out your fixes and announce the vulnerability all at the same time and that means then people or your users and distributions and the like are protected as well as they can be against that possible vulnerability. Uh, you know, you obviously don't want to be keeping your vulnerabilities secret for too long because it means that you know someone else or an attacker could go and find that vulnerability while you're busy trying to fix it. You know, there's always that chance that someone can independently find it, but it does, I guess, give a better uh, outcome, hopefully, in the end. And like I said, there is this tension because generally most things are done out in the open. So how do you do this in a private way? You, you could have a separate email address or something like that, but you know, email is not the best way to communicate when most of your users and uh, developers are using, say, GitHub issues or the like to do uh, normal bug reporting. You want to use something like that. Plus, if you've got all your CI rolled into GitHub Actions or the like, again, you want to use that or you want to be able to use you know, GitHub to you know, deploy, a, uh, have a merge request to fix it or that kind of thing. And so GitHub have uh, rolled out uh, kind of private security issue reporting against public repos, plus the ability to create private forks as well so that you can develop the fixes behind closed doors. Uh, This does need to be turned on specifically for your repo and perhaps also for your organization if you're within an organization. So check those out. But yeah, Till walks through all the details of how to do that and uh, talks about actually the process of how this came to be. I worked with one of the engineers on the Ubuntu security team, Mark Esler, to uh, kind of turn all this on and get that all set up. So thanks, Mark, for walking Till through all that and I guess uh, educating him and I guess educating all of us along the way about how that can all work. So if you are an upstream software developer and you are using GitHub, I recommend that you turn all this stuff on. Uh, have a good security disclosure policy for your project. You know, have good uh, a security.md, security.markdown file that discloses how or that that details how you want security issues reported and how uh, people can expect them to be handled and that kind of thing. And then you can also turn on these features as well so that you can have you know, security issues reported privately to you. You can get the fixes ready and roll them all out uh, in a coordinated way. So yeah, check out Till's blog post. Uh, it's a really great walkthrough for all of that. All right, and that takes us to the end of this week's episode. As usual, if you want to get in contact with the team, you can email us security at ubuntu.com. We also hang out in the Ubuntu security channel on libero.chat and we are on Mastodon at Ubuntu security at fosterdon.org over there too. If you want to come follow us and chat to us there as well, be our guest. Okay, I'll be back again with you all next week, but until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. All right, bye.